Um, but for us here today, we are continuing our series, Poured Out, and just kind of to bring you up to speed on what we've been talking about and a little bit on where we're going. Um, the idea of being poured out comes from the fact that God has poured out his incredible generosity on us. He's just good to us every single day. And when we understand how good he is, when we have eyes to kind of see and appreciate all that he does for us, it should cause us to be people who want to pour out that same kind of love and generosity on others. We, want, we should want to show the world what God has done for us. And so when we experience and appreciate his forgiveness toward us, you know, we'll be people who tend to forgive a little more easily. Uh, when we see that God showed us grace when we were at our worst, we'll become people that are a little slower to condemn, um, very generous with our grace, usually a little easier to give people the benefit of the doubt. Um, when we appreciate just that amount of generosity that he's given us, what we, all the things that we have in our lives, the blessings, the friends, whatever, we're going to have the ability to be more open-handed with those things because God's still pouring out on us and we don't have to hold everything and hoard everything. We can share with the world and with the people in our lives. Now, I get excited talking about this stuff because I think, imagine the power of a church full of people that are living this way. Um, imagine a church full of people that are so forgiving that you can't offend them. I mean, imagine, like our world is the most offendable it's ever been. Imagine a place where you walk in and you find a people who are unoffendable, who are like, well, you know, they, they probably had a bad day when they said that thing, or I don't know what's going on in their life, but it's okay. I can take it. If they needed to get that stress out, that's fine. I, I can absorb that. I mean, just imagine how weird that would be in our day and age. Imagine a church where people hold nothing back. When we see people who have a need, we're, we're just eager to meet that need. We're excited to meet that need. We're eager to make all of them go away. Imagine a church so saturated with grace that when people come in and someone confesses a sin, they don't get people going, oh, what a horrible, awful person you are. We say, yeah, join the club. Welcome to the, welcome to the group of, of sinners who are just touched by the grace of Jesus. Rather than condemning people, we welcome them in their sin. This kind of church is eager to serve. This kind of church is a naturally blessing church. We want to help people. And, and anyone who comes near is touched by the grace of God that's been poured out on this, poured out on this church. Um, and so here's the deal, though. Um, I don't think what I've just said should be the exception to the rule. I think that should just be like par for the course for Christians. I think that should be all of us. I think we should every day wake up and be so wowed by the fact that God still loves us, that we're forgiven, that we would look at anybody and be like, oh, I can forgive them. I can't hold a grudge on them. God, are you kidding me? God's forgiven me of everything I'm still doing wrong. And how can I hold a grudge against these people in my life? I think we should just be naturally overflowing with the grace that he's poured out on us. Um, now, today what I want to do is I want us to build off of something that we said last week. Uh, last week we established that everything is God's. Everything is his possession, that you and I really don't have anything, that we don't own anything. All the stuff in our life is really given to us by God, and it's kind of on loan to us from God. And that's hard for us to understand, like because we think of the hours that we put in at work to earn the money to buy the things that we've done, and we kind of want to say, no, that's my stuff. I worked hard for my stuff, and, and we are a very fiercely independent people. And so we want to say, that's my stuff. You don't tell me how to spend my stuff. It's my stuff. 
okay? You know a country is full of independent people when the start of the country was called what? What do we celebrate it every 4th of July? Independence Day. It's our country's birthday. So Independence Day started a nation full of independent people. You mind your business, don't tell me what to do, right? That's how we operate. But the reality is that we don't have what we have because we did it all on our own, but because God was gracious to us. You say, well, I worked hard. Yeah, with the energy that God gave you, the body God gave you, you huffed and puffed, breathing the air that God gave you to huff and puff. You had energy because you had food to eat that turned into however that works, energy in your body. So everything we have, everything that's in your hands and in mine is there simply because God has allowed it to come into our possession for the time being. And seeing that my stuff is really God's stuff means that I need to make a few changes with my life. It means that I need to think differently about how I'm using my stuff and spending my money because I don't think about anybody else usually. When it's, I'm, I want to do something, I think about what I want to do. How should I particularly do this, right? Um, and one of the most um, common ways that we look at life when it comes to using money and stuff is, and, and we don't even think this way out loud. This just happens in our brain because we're so, it's so normal. Um, we think, what's going to make my life more comfortable and easier? That's typically the way that we tend to do things. What's going to make my life more pleasurable in the long haul? Should I buy it? I don't know. Is it going to be fun and make, me more, make my life better? Then I'm going to buy it. That's just kind of how we think. Um, now, I'm, I'm a, a nerdy spreadsheet planning kind of person. Um, and so I love to go back, I can, or I have the ability to go back for years and tell you how we've spent our money. Like we do budgets every month, and I track all of that stuff, and, and I, I, I enjoy that, weirdly enough. Some of, a few of you are probably like me, and the rest of you are like, oh my gosh, have you never had real fun? Like you think that's fun? Somebody throw this guy a party. Like he needs to know what real fun is. But that's just kind of how I am. And so I can go back and tell you how our money has been spent over the years. Um, I probably won't because I'm sure I would be embarrassed at how much money we've actually given to Chick-fil-A probably over the years um, and some Starbucks. Uh, my kids probably will be paying for their own college, but I could probably wallpaper my entire house with Chick-fil-A receipts. That's unfortunate. Um, it's bad. Um, but, but one thing we also do, we save a certain amount for emergencies. Um, you know, we have retirement that we're stashing into. We have certain things on our wish list that we're saving towards. We're doing all of that kind of stuff because that's how I think how I want to spend my money. So I know how to think about spending my money, right? But what do I do if my money isn't my money? That changes the conversation a little bit. How do I think about using the stuff if it's not really my stuff to determine to use exactly how I want to use it? Because that's a bit of a different story. And that's kind of what I want to talk about uh, today as we get into things. Um, so we're just going to start very simply by looking in the book of Genesis uh, we're going to jump in a few places today, but we're going to start Genesis chapter 2, one of the easiest places to find in a Bible. It's just right near the beginning. You're probably still on like page 1 or 2. Uh, if you want to use a, uh, your phone as a Bible, that's fine too. That's got, there's plenty of different free ways to access the Bible on your phone, um, or the verses will be on the screen here as well. So Genesis chapter 2, we'll start in verse 7. It says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust. And from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. 
And the man became a living creature, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then we just jump down a few verses to verse 15 where it says, And the Lord God took the man that he just made, and he put him in the garden that he just made to work it and keep it. So even from the very beginning, they, everything was on loan. It was God's garden. The trees were God's trees. Everything that was had was God's. But he brought mankind into it to share in and partner with him to do something. Like, it wasn't like God said, here's all these wonderful things I'm going to give you. No, the first thing God gave Adam and Eve was a job. Like, think about that. Like, I mean, we think of work in our world as the evil. It's like, if there's anything, like, for even people who don't believe in the devil, they're probably like, well, work's from the devil. Like, I don't even know if there's a devil, but if there is, he made work. But no, it's one of the first things God ever gave to humanity was a job to do. And so we see God creates all things, right? And as we said last week, creator equals owner. You make it, it's yours. Um, but the next part in the story, though, is that God made Adam and Eve to be, in a sense, partners. He made humanity to be his representatives in the world to take care of and manage what he has given to us. That means as much as we like to think of our stuff as our stuff, we are not owners. We are just managers of God's possession. And that's, that's kind of a bummer, right? Because like the people that make the news are like the, the CEOs, the people who own all the things, not the people who manage all the things. And we want to be the owners. We want to have the power and the independence to say what. But no, our job is not to do whatever we want with what the world has. Our job is to responsibly handle what God entrusts to us. And so if it comes into your life, you can go ahead and say, well, God has entrusted this to me. And I've got to decide how to handle it for his good and glory. This explains why, as we saw in week one, we talked about how Christianity isn't purchasing God's favor. Okay, one thing people often get wrong about faith is they think, I've got to be good enough to earn God's love. I've got to be, if I can just be good enough, surely God will then be happy with me. And so, but, but here's the thing. You can't come to church and put like a big check in the offering box and like think, well, God's really going to like that. God's really going to be pleased with that, right? Um, C.S. Lewis says that that's like a kid giving his dad a present that he paid for with his dad's money. Right? Like, I mean, when your kids get you Christmas presents and they're little and they don't have jobs and they don't have money on their own, who's really paying for the presents, moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas? You, right? I remember one time, I don't, I don't know how old I was, but I just have this vague memory of being so excited. And I went out to my dad's garage and I grabbed a bunch of tools off, the tool, uh, off his tool bench and I wrapped them up and gave them to him for Christmas. I didn't even clean them. Like, they're still all dirty and oily, right? And I was so proud of myself because it's like, he is going to love this. Like, these are just what he wanted. Like, I, I mean, and it's like, but like, 
that's what it's like when we try to do something like, God's really going to love this. I'm going to give to God. He's going to be so pleased with me. And God's like, okay, you're just like, like, it's already mine. Like, everything's mine. You can't buy favor, okay? We're just taking what is his and giving it back to him and handling it the way he calls us to live. So what does it mean, though, then, to be a manager of God's resources? Um, the Bible often uses the word steward. We don't use that word a lot in our culture anymore, but it's kind of that person who's responsible for handling something for someone else. Um, if you have a, like, a financial person or an in insurance person that you kind of reach out to and say, I need these certain things, I need you to help, they can manage that stuff for you, and you give them income, you give them resources so that they can handle it on your behalf. They, in a sense, become a steward of what you have to help you take care of your life. But being a steward, if that means you're a manager, that means the reason you handle things are for God's glory, not for your comfort, not for your status, not for your pleasure. And that is not the way our world works. Everything in our world is for pleasure anymore. You do what makes you happy. If you buy something, it's for your glory. You do you. You do all the things. Whatever makes you thrilled, you just do it. You just chase pleasure wherever it tells you to go. But that says, this is like the total opposite of that. It means before I do anything, I think, what is honoring to God? What shows him best to the world? In the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, he's talking how church leaders are actually stewards of a church, meaning the church should outlast the people who lead over it, meaning I'm not the only pastor Loami's ever had, and I've, I'm not the first pastor Loami ever had, and I won't be the last pastor Loami ever has. I'm just here to handle and manage God's church wisely and well while I'm here, okay? And the church goes on. And so he's talking about church leaders being stewards, but he says something that is true of all people who find themselves a steward of God's things in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. He says, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful, meaning that they are doing the job well, that they are doing what God has called them to do. Because if you entrust someone to take care of something, you better hope they're going to handle it wisely. Um, if you let someone borrow your car, you're going to go ahead and hope that they're not blowing through red lights and doing donuts out in the field because it's not their car. If you see someone doing that in their car, you can think, well, that's dumb. They're going to tear up their car. But if you let someone borrow your car and they're doing it, you're going to be mad, right? That's going to upset you quite a bit. Um, and so if you entrust your resources to somebody, whether it's... Um, or, well, I'm saying God has entrusted resources to you and to me. And whether that is a, with your job, whether that is with uh, however you got your whatever in your life, whether through a job or maybe some sort of inheritance, or maybe you uh, happen to get one of those winning billion-dollar lottery tickets one of these days, whatever it might be, we are called to handle it according to a way that is good and honoring to God. And we've got to have a, be responsible and diligent, whether it's a few hundred dollars, whether it's a few billion dollars. I doubt that will happen. Um, Abby, when it got real big, I, she was working at the library one day in Chatham, and I said, hey, on your way home, you better stop, pick up five or ten dollars worth of lottery tickets. And I was kind of like, I don't think she will. I, we don't ever do that. And she's probably going to assume I'm joking. But there's that little part of me, because it's like, you'll never win, but there's that little part of me that's like, but maybe. You know, you know I, isn't that ridiculous? Like, but maybe. It's probably worth buying a ticket or two. She didn't. And we didn't win, so shockingly. It's hard to win when you don't play. Um, but, but that's the thing. we got to realize we don't 
we, we can't operate our lives according, what do we want? What makes us happy? What do we wish will happen with our life? That's a secondary thing, and we've got to start from the place of, no, how do I, how do I take God and what he's, God's resources that he's given me and use them for his glory and for the good of other people? And it can be so hard in our culture that is obsessed with pleasure, obsessed with, with comfort, and obsessed with status. It is tempting to take everything that you get and, and try to use it for yourself. Um, you know, some people spend their life trying to get as much as they can, as much as they can have. Some people even risk financial instability just to get a little bit more and a little bit more and have a little bit more. And, and it's so hard to say no to that because that's what our culture tells you to do. Um, and so it's hard to say no to ourselves. Another reason it's hard is because New stuff is intoxicating. I don't know if you noticed that. Like, you can get something new and feel better about your life. Like, I, and whatever that thing is for you is probably different than what it is for me. Um, but this past year, earlier this year, a few months ago, I got a new laptop. I got my first one, uh, my last one, like 2014. So it got me like eight years and it was starting to slow down and stuff, and some things just weren't working like they used to work, and battery wasn't as good, so I get a new laptop. And I remember, like, you know that plastic you always got to peel off the screen stuff? There's something magical about that, okay? I don't know. Even, like, like you ever got a new refrigerator and it had, like, the, the big blue thing on it, and you're like, like, that's, I don't know what it is about that, but that opening something new, it's just like, oh, yeah, there's something good about that. And it, the new stuff smells better, every, it works better, at least it should, and Usually when it's first new, it'll work. I don't know how long it'll last. But like, there's something it does in your soul and in your brain where it bumps up some, some certain kind of hormones and chemicals that just for a while, it doesn't last forever. But for a day or two, you're like, life is good. This just feels awesome. And that, that little hit that we get from bringing new things and a little bit more into our life, it's hard to say no to. I mean, like I said, I'm a pastor. I know that, that, that trying to live your life from one little bump of, serotonin or whatever it is to the next is a bankrupt way to live your life but yet I can't deny that for that week after getting that laptop I was work was a little more fun it just was I don't know why it works that way and so we though have to acknowledge that that everything we have is God's for that reason because it's easy to find pleasure out of some of that stuff it doesn't last forever but you know what there's a there's always something new to buy in our world it didn't used to be that way. Like, we live in a world now, like, it kind of stinks for us, for, especially for people like me who, who are into, like, gadgety things. Like, there's always a new gadget. There's always a new phone with a better whatever, screen, camera, something. You know, it's flatter, rounder, whatever the visual aesthetic is of the day. Phone. Now your phone doesn't have to have a port. You can just stick it on a little charger pad, and it'll just charge magically. Like, there's always something new. New TVs that are thinner, higher definition, show more colors. There's always something new that didn't used to be that way. And so it's just so incredibly intoxicating. And so if we are going to be people who fight against that, we've got to just start by saying, this isn't my money to do with what I want. Because what I want is to go buy all the things. And again, maybe you're not like me in that respect, but I know there's something that you will crave at some point in time. And so... When we acknowledge, though, that we aren't the owners, we're simply the managers of all that God has given us, it means that we have to, to operate God's way. And God wants us to at least be, 
I'm going to boil this down to two things. There's a lot of complicated ways you could get into, or, or a numerous list of ways you could talk about how God wants us to handle money. I'm just going to talk about two today, and that are that God wants us to be wise with what he gives us, and he wants to be generous with what he gives us. In Proverbs chapter 21, verse 5, it says this, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. So we see the contrast between those who are intentional and thoughtful with what God has given them. They're planned out, they're diligent, and those who make quick, thoughtless, hasty decisions based mainly on what I wanted in the moment. And diligence tends to lead to more, and hastiness tends to lead to having less. Now, you will say, there are exceptions to that rule. And we see, you'll see somebody that's like, you know, makes very risky decisions and ends up with everything they ever wanted. And we look at that person and go, well, they did it. So maybe I could do it, but they're always the exception. Um, and then a few chapters before this, it talks about how um, this, w- the wisdom that shows that our logic doesn't always work when it comes to how money works in God's economy. Proverbs 11. This one's kind of frustrating, but it's so true. It says, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. You know, we think if I hoard, that means I have more. If I keep, then I have more. If I give it away, then I have less. That is a broken way of thinking according to the way God handles and blesses people. Um, I've known people that never cease to be generous, and they always seem to have what they need to have. I mean, They'll give cars, they'll give money, they'll give clothing, they'll give a room in their house, and you'd think, they can't have anything left. They've probably given it all away. I think my wife would be like that if it wasn't for me, who's, I'm a little more on the stingy side, and the diligent, you know, there's, when you put it all in a spreadsheet, you know when the money runs out, and I'm like, no, Abby, stop it. Um, I told her, how many of you have seen the the show uh, Nailed It on Netflix? Few people, oh boy, not many. Anyway, here's what it is. It's a show, it's a, it's a baking show, and the contestants are people who cannot bake. And so they give them this grand lofty idea of a cake or some decorated cookies, and the people come in, and it's hilariously bad. But whoever does the least bad at the end, they give them a stack of money, and the host has this little money gun. And they put a stack of, I'm sure it's $1 bills, but they pull the trigger, and it just starts shooting the $1 bills out. I told Abby I need to get her one of those when she goes shopping, because I feel like that's how she spends money. Um, and I can say that, because she's not in the room right now. And, and so, um, what, this said, what he's saying here, though, is that when we are generous, when we have open hands and we let our possessions, what are our possessions, be shared with other people, that our hands are then open for God to give us more and continue to bless us and take care of us. But there's something about hoarding and being stingy that means we never quite have enough. And that's usually a hard issue because the more you try to miser away, you always feel like you don't quite have enough to go around. And so we need to be both wise and generous. That is what God is calling. Not flippant, not stingy, because we're not living for ourselves. We're living according to what God has called us to do, according to his goodness and his generosity. And what's wonderful about being diligent and being generous is that they really connect quite nicely because wise stewardship will give you more to give. Wise stewardship usually means you have more to pour out on people and it means to bless other people. We wise, when we wisely manage what God has given us, we will have more to generously pour out on others and we can have a heart and a desire to be generous. But 
if we are constantly foolish, constantly spending money on our own whims and desires, there's not going to be a lot left over to be generous with. Um, and let me get, spend a few minutes getting kind of practical here um, about some ways that we can be wise so that we can have more to give. Um, I've already kind of shown my hand on this, but I think it is incredibly helpful, and you might say, of course you did, you've never had fun, but I think it is incredibly helpful to use a budget. And that's a bad word for a lot of people, um, but it really, it really is amazing how if you don't tell your money where to go, you just end up wondering where it went. The month's over, and you're like, how do I not have any money? How is my bank account so low? How come I got that email from my bank saying, you're out of funds, you overdrew? How did that happen so quickly? But if you tell, you got to tell your money, like, where to go. I think Dave Ramsey says, um, money's like a misbehaving toddler. Like, it's just going to wander off if you don't, like, keep track of it and tell it where to go. And so, it is, I think, though, especially since your stuff isn't your stuff and your money isn't your money, it's almost irresponsible for us to not know what we're doing with God's money. I think since we are managers and stewards, we should know where it's going and what is happening with what God has decided to give us. And so a budget is a good way to do that. And I understand for a lot of you, it will not be a fun activity. It will be a painstaking, confusing, and miserable thing to do. I would, If you want tips and help, I love to do that. I've been doing it for... 10 plus years at this point in a couple different ways. So I got, I can, I've done spreadsheets. I actually use an app now, which is great because I don't have to, every single month, I used to have to like type out what all we did. Now I just go create new month and it takes last month and just bloop, copies everything over and I just make a few little changes. It takes me like five minutes to budget every month. It's, we live in the future. We're like the Jetsons minus the flying cars. It's awesome, okay? And so we, though, when we are trying to be responsible, that means we kind of have to curtail a little bit of what we would normally spend stuff on and say no. Now, um, a little bit about how this works. Like, okay, Abby and I, we want to, again, be diligent. We want to be generous. So when we make a budget, the first thing at the top of every month's budget is what we want to give to the church. We figure that out in January for the new year, how much we want to give, and we do that every single month, and we set it up automatic so it just happens, um, and then we don't have to worry about us accidentally making that money disappear because it, it kind of disappears where in the direction that we want it to go. It comes to the church automatically, um, and we put it at the very top because it is a priority. We want that to show that we want to be generous people. We have a lot of other things that we want to do in a month that are listed out in that budget, but by putting it Giving at the top, it says, no, we want to be generous first and foremost. The second item on that list is um, the little girl that we support. I say little girl. We started 11 years ago supporting a girl named Rachel Kanyesege in Uganda. And we picked her because um, she was born, let me see, she was born, I think, the year we got engaged. And her month and day were going to be James's due date. But then he showed up early, and I don't even remember what her birthday is now. I thought, I'll remember her birthday forever. It's James's due date, because surely babies arrive promptly when they're supposed to. Um, I've learned. Um, but yeah, uh, they don't do anything once they're born uh, when they're supposed to. Um, but we give to her every single month for 11 years um, so that they can have like medical uh, care, food, education in their, in their little community. And so again, we put that away to take care and be generous, because again, it's not ours. It's God's money, and God calls us to be generous, and we want that to be the first priority. 
Now, if you do think about making a budget every month and you think making a budget sounds tough, let me tell you, making a budget is not nearly as hard as sticking to that budget. That is the real hard work. It is so incredibly difficult. Um, our biggest downfall is eating out. I already mentioned Chick-fil-A, right? Um, that's, it's, that is, again, is bad. Um, in fact, yesterday, uh, Jude has gone to camp. He's out at the camp. And, so, and Abby was um, in Springfield doing some stuff with her mom and her sister. And so it was just me and James and Eleanor. And I've got a little bit of a cold. And yesterday I had a little sinus headache, you know. And it was lunchtime, and they were both like, it's not, we want to eat lunch. And I go and I open the fridge, and they don't want anything in the fridge. And I'm like, and I was like, I don't want to fight. I just didn't have the fight in me in that moment. And so I was like, all right, let's get in the car. And we ran to McDonald's in Chatham, and we were halfway to Chatham. And I, I had this moment where I thought, you're doing exactly what you're trying to tell people not to do tomorrow in your sermon. Like, and... And I, I could have turned around then. I didn't. I kept going, and we ended up getting McDonald's, right? Um, but I was like, it's hard. It's hard. So I understand, okay, how this works. It is difficult to do this stuff and to stick to it. But, uh, again, it, we're not going to be perfect at it, but we've got to understand and move ourselves more in the direction of steward and manager, not owner. Um, another thing we try to do that I think is helpful is we try to avoid debt wherever possible. Uh, I know there's, uh, just so you know, there's two kinds of debt. There's the stuff where um, that happens because we live in a broken world. Uh, tragedy happens. Medical issues pop up. Um, tornadoes, fire, house fires, that kind of stuff. Things that you could not possibly plan for that can add a, can really wallop you with a, a load of debt. I understand that and are pretty unavoidable. But there's another kind of category of debt that just comes because we don't know how to tell ourselves no. Like, that is a, a tricky one. And I understand this, too, because the first time we taught uh, the Dave Ramsey class here, I led the Dave Ramsey class and even led, like, a small group out of it. And then as soon as the 13 weeks, I think is what it was at the time, I went to Best Buy and bought a TV on 36 months, Amos Cash. And, like, I, so I understand it's hard to say no to yourself and to do that things. But one thing I've noticed over the years is that the Bible doesn't have a single positive thing to say about debt. It either mentions it in passing or it talks about how it's going to cause you a lot of problems um, and how you're going to have your money tied up to someone else. And then when things happen in your life, you're not going to have the money because you've already given it, promised it to someone else. And so as we try to live this way and we try to be wise and we try to be diligent with what God has given us, it means not spending all that we have because it's not ours to spend on what we want, but saving some of it so that we can be generous with others. Um, it means saving for purchases so that you want it now, but you don't get it now. You save up for it so that you can have it later. And again, it's doing this intentionally, and it forces you to remember this isn't about us. As you're saving for purchases, every time you think, I could go get this with a loan, or I could go get this and get a, swipe my card, every time you say no, it's a reminder, not your stuff, not your money. God's the owner. God's the one who has all of this stuff. But when we are willing to be diligent and wise, it enables us to be more generous than we could naturally be on our own. I am convinced that we have been able to be more generous over the years that we've been married because we reined in what we would naturally do, which if we, if we didn't rein ourselves in, we would have no dishes to do because we would probably eat out every single meal. I don't know what it is, I, I don't understand the psychology in my brain, but I could cook a steak on the grill, perfectly seasoned, perfectly the way I like it, and it would still not be as good as a steak I got somewhere else. I don't know. And you say, some of you are like, that's crazy. I know. I know. 
I know that that doesn't make absolutely any sense. I've grilled burgers on the grill. I've never made as good of a burger as some of the burgers I've eaten out because there's just something about, uh, I didn't have to make it. I don't have to clean up. Dishes are done. Like there's something exciting about that to me. And so often though, if we are pouring out generosity, it is um, never going to be something that takes away from us and leads us to not having enough. Because God is so constantly generous that the more we give, the more he seems to provide a way. There's been times where Abby is like, we need to help this out. We need to give to this cause. And again, I'm always the, but the budget person. And she's like, forget your budget. And she gets under money gun and shoots money at somebody. And, and so that's how she operates. But every, t- every single time that's happened, I, my kids haven't, have yet to go without a meal. It's always worked out. Things have kind of leveled out. Things have balanced out. I can't tell you how many times we've just had money just show up that we didn't expect. You know, just like showed up. Like, I don't know where, why it showed up. It was, you know, there was, uh, what was it? There was some like weird tax thing that showed up one day when we were like, we were like, Abby, we're so over budget. We're never going to make it. The world's collapsing around me. And then like the next day a check shows up for pretty close to the same amount, right? I've had that happen to me. I've had so many stories that I've heard from people that I know of that kind of stuff happening to me that I'm convinced God takes care of the people that want to use his resources for his good and for the good of others. And so we have to admit, though, that it's not ours. It's just not. We're managers at best. And if we want to be generous as God has been generous, then it's going to require wisdom and diligence and the ability to say no to ourselves and the ability to say God's will first in every aspect of our lives, even in how we handle our stuff and handle our money. Because you and I are not owners. As much as we like to think of ourselves that we are, we are merely stewards called to wisely handle what God has entrusted to us for this moment. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for all that you've given us. We're grateful that you have richly blessed us, that maybe at times we don't feel like we have as much as we would like to have, but you always make sure that we have what we need and and provide us and put us around people who can even meet those needs. And that's one of the beautiful things about the church, that sometimes um, your generosity comes not from a random check in the mail, but through a, a loving friend in church who just knows we have a need. And in that moment, wants to meet it because they want to be the hands and feet of a God that is generous to us in that moment. And so I pray, Father, that we would be open to receiving generosity even when it comes through um, our church family, even when it comes through uh, means that maybe we are a little bit hesitant to accept. But I pray that just as we're open to receiving your generosity, we would be even more open to sharing and showing your generosity that as we are wise, it's not just so that we can have more, but it's so that we can show your love more to the world and give more to people who are in need and eliminate needs from people's lives so that they can have everything that they uh, need. And so we're just grateful that uh, you just empower us to do that sometimes. And I just pray that we would be people who listen to the wise advice in Proverbs and that we would listen to the callings that we see in Scripture uh, in the New Testament as you, you want us to be uh, stewards who are faithful, and that we would understand just the basic principle of creation, that all of it's yours because you made it, and we're simply here to handle what you allow to pass through our fingers in this moment that we're in. So thank you, God, for this wonderful time to uh, be together as a church family, to grow and learn and, and uh, hopefully be the people that you've called us to be and be more shaped through your spirit and through your word to walk and live like Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.